Well, hello. I am Matt Williamson. This is the Locked On NFL Podcast. How's everyone this fine Thursday evening? I hope you're wonderful. Uh, as I told you, uh, the, my fam and myself are going to Atlanta tomorrow morning. I will not do a podcast again until possibly Monday evening, but probably not. It'll probably be Tuesday. So, it'll be close to a week we won't be chatting. I'm sure you'll miss me. I hope it's okay. It'll be alright. There's not a lot happening right now. Mini camps are wrapping up. The Week one mini camps are wrapping up. Shouldn't be a lot of news over the weekend. Everyone should enjoy their Memorial Day. Be safe. Have a good time. Party it up. Um, today is Twitter Thursday. And... I asked you just, I didn't give you enough time to get a lot in, but they might keep rolling in as we chat. A couple news and notes. Uh, yesterday, I did my top 10 running backs of all time and it ended up being my top dozen running backs of all time. And I will say, surprisingly, I got a lot of feedback. That didn't surprise me. I always get a lot of feedback. But I didn't get much, you know, backlash. You know, how could you have that guy this high? Or how'd you leave this dude off? The only name that came up pretty consistently was Bo Jackson, who I did not include. And I respect his greatness. I mean, I respect his immense talent. Played baseball. Was a first overall pick in the draft, if you recall. Think about that for a minute. Imagine nowadays, you use the first overall pick in the draft on Baker Mayfield, Jared Goff, you know, Jameis Winston, Andrew Luck. And the dude says... Nah, I'm going to go play baseball. I'm not playing for you guys. And boom, your, your pick is just down the drain. They didn't get the compensation for it. You earned the first overall pick because you're so freaking bad. And Tampa was terrible back then. And he says, nah, see you later. I'm going to do something else. I'm going to go play baseball. Break bats over my knee. And then later, you know, the Raiders trade for his, for his uh, rights and bring him in and Got a lot out of him, you know, to the point where some of you thought that he belonged in the top 10 running backs ever. And, again, I, I, he didn't do it long enough. I'm sorry. I mean, there are some guys in history, and Gil Sayers kind of fit that mold. You know, a J.J. Watt, if he were to hang it up now. What if Gronk hung it up? I mean, you could make the argument they didn't do it long enough. That was one of my arguments against Terrell Davis as a Hall of Famer. But, Bo, he wasn't even... I mean, they had Marcus Allen on that team, too. Like, he wasn't a 25-carry-a-back guy for all year long for four or five years. He was just an amazing comet that flew by us all and was done too soon. Something along those lines. Something philosophical-sounding. Anyway, I went to Roto World, pulled up just a few headlines in case you don't know. Gronk and the Patriots nearing restructured contract. And I've heard Mike Lombardi say this really well. And I thought it for a while, too. I mean, it's not an original thought. But Lombardi said it well in that Gronk is the hardest guy to pay in the entire NFL. Why do you say that? Well, you know, a guy like Vaughn Miller is maybe the best edge pass rusher in the league. But he's not worth way more than the second best. Or... You know, is Rodgers worth a lot more than Brady? Or, you know, I mean, the quarterback one's kind of odd because whoever's most recent becomes the highest paid player in the league. You know, is Donald worth way more than a healthy J.J. Watt? You know, but Gronk, with all respect to Kelsey and Ertz and Olsen and, you know, recent really good tight ends, 
he's way better than those guys and way more valuable. You know, like, he should be paid. And, and this is kind of hits home a little bit with Le'Veon Bell sitting out. Le'Veon Bell wants to be paid like a number one running back and a number two receiver rolled into one. And I bet David Johnson says the same thing a year from now. That being said, you know, like, what's Odell making? What's Sammy Watkins and Allen Robinson making right now after they just hit the open market? And they're lucky if they're number one receivers. Where Gronk is a number one receiver, an all-time great, a massive touchdown producer, an unbelievable blocker, and all wrapped into the biggest mismatch, and in my opinion, the hardest guy to cover in the entire league. Yeah, Antonio Brown and Julio and Odell and those guys are great. But corners out there can hang with them, can be competitive with them. Who one-on-one handles Gronk? And yes, it's happened. I mean, there's... There's games, there's instances, particularly when Gronk's been injured, where, you know, a guy can sort of handle him. But usually with a lot of coverage, you know, with a lot of help. But he is the straw that serves the drink. I mean, he's, to me, probably the best offensive player in the league who isn't a quarterback, but he's worth so much more than tight end money, which tight ends aren't making that much right now. So that's interesting. Another note here I just wanted to just throw out there. Ryan Tannehill has been fully cleared. A reporter says Tannehill and Amendola have this great connection. And those kind of you know, headlines don't interest me that much. But I am really happy that he's, he's healthy. I'm a big Adam Gase believer. I think that all this prep time, basically from now until week one, could really serve Tannehill well. And I do admit that this is a make-or-break type season for him. But I'm leaning towards... He makes it. You know, I think he's going to be a a starting quarterback in this league. I think there's a lot of ability there and in a good situation. Reuben Foster reports the Niners OTAs. I'm not sure that he's 100% cleared off the field, but that seems to be going well in his favor. I think we talked about this yesterday. No, the day before. Remember, I did my State of the Niners address. I think he's the next great linebacker in the league. You know, I mean, him and maybe Roquan, you know, I think they're going to pick up the, they'll be the next generation of Bobby Wagner's and Luke Keekley's, you know, of A-plus guys on the second level. I, mean, I think Foster's that good, that important. And one more other little note, Cameron Meredith proclaimed to be way ahead of schedule uh, for the Saints now. If you, if you recall, he's coming back from injury with the Bears. Not that he's a superstar of a Gronk level or anything like that, or even a Rumor Foster type level. But I do think the Saints are in really good shape and that he can be the Marquise Colston in that offense. You know, a big slot really can go up and get the football. I could see Breeze throwing him high balls and him going up and high pointing, coming down in the red zone, over the middle of the field, operating out of the slot. So yet another weapon for a loaded football team. Again, I'm pretty infatuated with the Saints right now. All right, one other note that I missed before we got to Twitter Thursday is the draft is going to be held in Nashville. That's a great place for it. I've never been. I have many buddies that have. I hear it's an absolute blast. It's one of the cities in America that is growing the fastest. There's a lot, and because of that, there's a lot of 
transient population there. You know, like, I don't know that everyone in Nashville is a, a Titans fan. I bet there's plenty of Packers fans and Dolphins fans and whatever that have moved there over the years because the city is growing and a lot of people want to live there and it sounds like a wonderful place. Not to mention, I'm not a country fan, but I am going to Kenny Chesney next Saturday. I just found that out today. Learning about country. And Chesney and those guys, I think I like. But it's going to be an all-day party at, uh, at Heinz Field, I think. I think it's going to be at Heinz Field all day. We're going to, you know, do it right. So I am a fledgling country person, and country's come a long way since I was a kid. And I bet Nashville is a blast. From what I hear, there's great country music on every corner. It's an easy town to get to. You know, I think Falcons fans will fly up. Dallas fans will come down. I'm sure Steelers and Colts and Browns and all those people will flood Nashville for the draft and make it a wonderful party weekend. So that just sounds like fun to me. Uh, so, you know, I just wanted to throw that out there. Um, what else do we have here? Rotofilio Perijoto. I uh, just destroyed your name. Any official stance on the Anthem debacle? No, I don't. I avoid that stuff like the plague. I almost didn't answer this. And when I was telling you about Nashville, I was thinking I should probably mention the damn Anthem thing. Um, because I just want to talk football, to be honest with you. Belly up to my bar, let's talk football. I mean, that's up my alley. I'm a big, big, big believer in freedom of speech. However... I also think that if I work for ESPN or the Steelers or the Browns, I have to speak for that organization too. And therefore, I think the NFL has the right to say, this is what we expect from our employees. You know, that we, we're, we're giving you a rule. I don't think it's unconstitutional. And if you don't like it, you don't have to work for the NFL anymore. So... You know, I'm not taking a stance on should people kneel, should they not. For those of you that don't know, it sounds like you do not have to attend. You don't have to be outside for the anthem. And that's kind of a new thing. That's happened since 9-11 that people have come out for the anthem. Before, all the, all the players were in the locker room. They were just still prepping for the game or doing whatever they did. But now, they're out there. And obviously, lately, this past year, you know, there's been issues um and basically they said sounds like you can do anything you want as long as you're standing for the anthem but you don't have to be there so if you don't want to come out you don't have to but if you do come out and you're not standing during the anthem your team will be fined so okay i mean i i honestly don't have a big problem with that and i don't want to really get into it any further either uh, Coach Lamers asks, interested in your thoughts on Baker Mayfield being the third quarterback in OTAs. Yes, it's early. Yes, he's a rookie, but first overall pick, question mark. Everyone will have a different opinion on this, but I'm interested to see what yours is. Thanks with the big exclamation mark. Also notice when I was on Roto World, Josh Allen is running with the threes in Buffalo. And I, I've been telling you I'm down at the Steelers facility. Mason Rudolph's running with the threes, you know, maybe even with the fours, you know, like him and Dobbs are battling. But the thing is, you know, like Big Ben wasn't there today. So Rudolph threw a lot and nobody even cares. You know, you make a notion that Brady's not there. What's that mean? I mean, that's a lot of guys skip different days throughout camp. So there's plenty of reps to go around. And I actually had a long conversation with my buddy Dale Lolly on the air today about this, and it, it applies very much to Mayfield 
and Allen that it's really interesting, and a problem the NFL has, um, reason number 100 of why I want there to be a true minor league system is there's not enough reps to go around nowadays for quarterbacks, you know, especially when you get closer and closer to the season. That who there's only X amount of snaps for quarterbacks to take, especially when the season starts and your starter, you know, Josh McCown, maybe it's Tyrod Taylor, maybe it's McCarron, is taking the majority of snaps as you prepare for your week one opponent, your week two opponent. So how do you get the young guy ready? How do you balance that? It's really difficult nowadays, you know, especially training camps. I mean, they're very limited with how much they can get done. And I'm sure Baker and Allen will play a ton in the preseason, you know, so that's good. And that's absolutely important. I don't think, quote, depth charts in general mean that much this time of year either. I think it's more important to say how many snaps, how many reps are you getting in practice and even though there's so many great, you know, uh, writers out there, beat writers out there, I don't know that anyone that, like, charts that kind of stuff. Like, hey, how many snaps did Dobbs take today versus Rudolph versus Landry with Ben out? You know, and for those of you that don't know, coaches put time and effort into these things. You know, whenever they broke practice yesterday, they've been watching tape, they broke down practice, they shower, they get dinner, they come back, and then they decide, what are we going to do tomorrow? You know, especially during the season, especially during camp. And say, hey, we want Baker to take 45% of the snaps, give or take, Thursday. We want Taylor, who's also new, you know, it's not like a Roethlisberger situation, and McCarron's also new, or a McCown situation, you know, where you're at least returning to this, the, you're a veteran you're the unquestioned starter. You know the offense. You know, you don't really need the reps this time of year. But Baker does. And, you know, all the first-rounders do. Darnold does. So, I don't know if I'm really answering that for you. But don't sweat it is really the bottom line. It, it's not a big deal. Uh, Tyler Weber asked, did Chip Kelly get a fair shot? I feel like he kind of got a raw deal in San Francisco. Yeah, probably. I mean, that was awful quick. And they really had a bad team. I mean, that was a bad roster. Um, I thought he got a little bit of a short end of the stick with the Eagles, too. I mean, although the Eagles, I'm sure, are quite happy with how it, how it worked out. And to be honest, I thought Kelly's biggest problem was I thought he wasn't a very good GM. You know, like, they, they didn't diversify enough. I mean, he brought in a lot of Pac-10 dudes, a lot of guys he was familiar with with college. And that can be a huge advantage, but you can't use it as a crutch, too. You can't bring, you can't operate with a smaller deck of cards than the other 31 teams. You know, then I thought he did too much of that. I also worry that a 53-man roster doesn't hold up to his system nearly as well as 100 dudes in college with, you know, a high percentage of them being scholarship guys. So, you know, uh, I'm interested. I think he is best suited for college. And I do think we might look back and say, boy, he brought some things to the NFL that become more staples down the line and people will try them again. Um, Lance Weagley asked me, do you believe in the proverbial sophomore slump? If so, what goes into it? Uh, no, I think quite the opposite. I mean, To me, that's when a player should make his biggest jump from year one to year two. 
And anyone that's heard me, I, I give you this speech at least once a year, usually this time of year. But take a step back without me laying it all out and think about a draftable player. Pick whoever you want. You know, whoever got drafted this year. When that young man started his training camp at his college, who, you know, in his last year as a college football player, from that second he starts camp, 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 camp's tough, whole year, and then you're either preparing for your bowl game or you get right into draft prep or guys juggle the two kind of behind the scenes. Train like crazy to get your 40 time down a tenth of a second and to get your body fat down and all, you know, you're training for cone drills and shuttles and wonderlicks and things like that. How to interview and finding agents. I mean, you're, there's no downtime. And then you finally get drafted. And then they rush you to rookie minicamp and you're learning a whole new playbook. And they rush you to OTAs. And then you have a little bit of downtime like everyone does in the world, but your probably nose is deep into your playbook. And then you have a preseason, which you've never had the high school level or the college level. And then you play 16 games if you're lucky and more if you're even luckier. And maybe you played 20 games before the postseason and the most you ever played in your life was 11 before that. Against grown men, you know, against better competition. And then maybe the playoffs. So from the second they start their first, their, their, their training camp in their final year of college till the second that their rookie year ends is a grind like no football player has ever dealt with. I mean, they are creatures of habit, most of them, and they had to break their habits in order to get where they are. And now this year, starting basically about now, all these second-year dudes know who they're, know the offense. They know their way around the city. They know their favorite pizza joint. They know where their home is. They know how to get to and from the work. They understand what's expected of them. They, un- they know their new teammates. And now they can really get better. You know, I mean, and so to me, no, I don't believe in a sophomore slump. I do believe people have a play worse their second year than they do their first year, but that's no different than people to play worse their fourth year than their third year or their seventh year than their eighth year. You know, I mean, I I mean, nobody's going to be super consistent week to week, year to year, especially with the injuries people deal with at this level. So no, here's what I say for the end. Um, Toby Bryant asked me, I just realized that rhymes with Kobe Bryant. Probably not an accident. The, which franchise do you feel has made the biggest impact in the NFL? His homer pick is the Niners, first to win five Super Bowls. They made Jerry Jones push for the cap to limit their power, or so I heard. Okay, I don't know much about that. I'm sitting here going, well, what about the Steelers? They were first to four Super Bowls. They did it before you, your Niners did. Um, <laughs> or the Packers are probably like, hey, we were the first to two. We won a bunch of national titles before Super Bowls even mattered. Or the Patriots are going, we go to Super Bowl every year. Have you noticed what we've done the last 15, 20 years? Been pretty good. My hunch, though, when you say who has made the biggest impact on the NFL, Dallas comes to mind for sure. You know, they were great in the 70s. They were great in the Bob Lilly era before that. 
the whole America's team thing, that was big, you know. I mean, that's when TV was become really coming around. People wanted to watch the Cowboys. They wanted to see the Cowboy cheerleaders. You know, let's tune in. Let's see what's this football stuff all about. And then they had their lean years when, you know, the, the coaching change and Jimmy Johnson takes over and Jerry Jones takes over. But then they were great again. You know, I mean, they were a dominant team in the Aikman, Urban, Emmett years. But more so than that, their marketing. You know, I think the the Jerry Jones, I think he's in the Hall of Fame because of the money he's made for the league and the marketing and Jerry's world. And remember he did that thing with Nike too and he, he decided who was going to sponsor his team. And I'm sure he's been instrumental in television contracts and promotion and call him a self-promoter or call him whatever you want. He has helped the league grow immensely. I will also say, I'm going to be a homer here for a second here too, Toby. The Steelers, in a 